Well, good morning again. We are starting part two of our series entitled Breakthrough. In the five weeks leading up to Palm Sunday, we began looking at the Ten Commandments, and then we took a two-week break during Easter between the tablets. So we looked at tablet one of the Ten Commandments for five weeks, and now we're, we're back at the Ten Commandments starting tablet two. And if you have joined us, you'll recall that we're looking at not just how the Ten Commandments are just a bunch of rules, but how they are a way that we can encounter God in and through them. All right, so this week we are looking at the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. Pretty simple, right? Half of you guys are like, sweet, let's sing another hymn, give me a benediction, we'll beat the Baptist to lunch, right? Some of you are thinking that already, I'm good to go. Not so fast, because the passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus authoritatively redefines murder. And as you're going to see, and as we are going to see together, we are all guilty. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Would you pray with me? Jesus, again, this, we just pray that you would make your word alive and afresh to our hearts, that you would kindle in us a desire to walk with you in holiness and in truth. In Christ's name, amen. One of my best friends from college, his name is John. And John is a tall, dark, handsome guy. He's a quarterback for his high school. He played quarterback in college. And John, I, I love him to death, but John might be the only person who runs their mouth more than I do. He has always had a mouth on him. And he, he likes to tell this story. Uh, when he was a freshman in high school, and thinking that he's real big and bad as a freshman coming into high school in his podunk town in South Carolina, uh, John Recall sitting in his friend's car, and there was a, another car sitting next to him, a group of upperclassmen in it. And so John just starts running his mouth, and he starts popping off at these guys, at these upperclassmen in this other car, right? And he's just running his mouth. Well, finally, these guys have had enough of listening to, to this young buck, and they decide to go teach him a lesson. And so they jump out of the car, and he rolls the window up, and he's still just, I mean, absolutely railing on these guys, Right, and, he, and as he's doing those, so these guys are getting more mad and more mad and more mad, and he's still doing it, and he's still making faces at them, all while he assumes that he is protected by the locked vehicle. 
You know where this is going, don't you? As he continues to make fun of these guys, one of them reaches for the door handle, and as they do, he's going, ha, 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 the door's locked, and then he realizes the door's not locked. And they subsequently pull John out of the vehicle, grab him, and he gets his well-deserved beating from these guys. But we all know what it's like to live life as if X is a reality, as if the doors are locked, only to find out what? That they're not. We all know what that's like, to live life as if X is a reality, when really Y is the actual reality. And Jesus is great at this. He's great at showing not only His disciples, but us all throughout the Scriptures, that you are living life as X. But why is a reality? In the words of DMX, a famous rapper, the minute that you think you know, I don't think you know. And it's easy for us to operate as though we are following the rules and we're not that bad, right? And then Jesus walks in and boom, he shows us that we're not as good as we like to think we are. And so this morning, I want to walk us through this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said earlier, Jesus authoritatively redefines murder for us. And as he does that, we're going to see that we are all guilty. But there is hope. And there's hope in him. And so if you start out, if you look at verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you... Stop right there. Did you catch that? He says, You have heard... You shall not murder. Then he says what? But I say to you, if you're angry, if you say you you fool, you are violating this commandment. So right out of the gate, Jesus says he has no problem, right? He has no problem establishing his authority over the commandments. See, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' authoritative interpretation of the law. And that's why he says in the beginning, you have heard that it was said, but I say... See, you have heard, what did they heard? Well, they had heard from the religious leaders. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the people responsible for teaching everybody else about the law, had somehow twisted the law, somehow contorted it, and made the law doable. Made the law as if it was uh, just a mere checkbox. Boom. Didn't do that. Very good. So if you look at, you shall not commit murder, essentially... What they had done is said, okay, well, if I refrain from the shedding of blood, then I have obeyed the law. And that's when Jesus goes, you've heard it was said this, but I say, I say this. It's it's a classic, you're following the letter of law, but not the spirit of the law, right? And we all know what that's like. It's like the time we have some of our students here right after we open our new student building, which is the new name for that building, the student building. That's what we're going to call it, by the way. When we, right after we opened that, our student building, I got a text message from some of our students. And these guys said, hey, man, can we study in the building today? And I said, well, I'm not there today. You've got to have an adult present in order to do that. So if you can find an adult to, to go with you over there, fine, have at it, study away, right? Well, I get about an hour later, I get a phone call from somebody who goes, hey, you know there's a bunch of kids over there and there's nobody in there with them? And I went, okay, let me find out what's going on here. And so I called them up and I said, what are y'all doing? I just told you that you had to have an adult in there with you. And they're like, yeah, there is an adult. I said, who? They said, the guys, the workers are in here. They're hanging up glass on the wall over here. 
And I went, kudos to you. (laughs) Right? Because I was talking about a leader, not some random Joe off the street. And the religious rulers followed the letter. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's my law. And what I'm saying is that it's not enough just to refrain from the shedding of another person's blood. And he has that authority. Because if you recall in the verses right before this in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says what? He says, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And essentially he's saying that everything that happened in the Old Testament and everything that was in the Old Testament was pointing to me that I am the fulfillment of that law. And then in verse 20, he goes on and he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is laying out the new norms for the kingdom of God, his kingdom. And he's internalizing what the religious leaders had externalized. And he's saying they just made it a bunch of a, a checklist. And what I'm saying is that it goes way deeper than that. That it goes to your thoughts and your attitude and your heart. And so he's showing that it's not enough just to follow the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law is just as important. Right? So then he expounds on what he's just said in the first verse. And so he goes on and he says, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so you have three different things that Jesus is saying. Angry, insult, you fool. And the, what is he talking about? What, I mean, it's, it's not a progression of badness necessarily, but it's worth a second look at exactly what he's talking about. Anger. It's not a... The anger is not a righteous anger. Because you may be thinking, now wait a minute, is Jesus saying all anger? Because didn't he get angry? Right, he did. Jesus was a righteous anger. Remember when he flipped over the tables in the temple? And he got mad at the money changers? There's a righteous anger over sin. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. So what Jesus is talking about is an unrighteous anger. It's an anger that's rooted in pride and vanity, and hatred, and malice, and revenge. It's the kind of anger that we are all guilty of. You know, when someone does something to us that we don't like, or treats us in a way that we don't like, or when our internal thermometer starts rising, and that alarm bell starts going off of going, you've hurt me, you've stepped on me, you've hurt somebody I like, I'm going to get mad at you. That's the kind of anger he's talking about. It's an unrighteous anger, and we all are very well of the fact that we're guilty of it. Right, but it's not just anchor because it says insult. It says whoever insults. And it's a really hard word to interpret. And it's not like I'm some kind of a scholar. But it, all the scholars point out that this, the, the word used here is called raka. Raka. And it's an Aramaic term. And it's a phrase that essentially means empty. So whoever raka. And it's not even something you do towards somebody. It's an attitude. And it's an attitude of emptiness. Tim Keller, he points out, he says it's an attitude of being dismissive of someone. It's an attitude of having contempt towards another person. An attitude of condescension. It's a phrase that means you look at another human being 
a human being that's made in the very image of God, and you're treating them as a non-entity, that you're just disregarding them altogether. And sadly, how many of us can say that we've done that before? How many could we say we've done that to our spouses even? Where they say something to us and their heart is crying out for one thing and you go, you're disregarding them. That's what that is. It's treating the other person as that they don't matter. That they're not reality. That you're dismissive of them and what it is that they're saying. Right? And then he says, you fool. And it's not like a court jester type fool, but someone who is wise in their own eyes and yet is blind to the fact that they of the havoc that they wreak all around them. And so these three things, he says, anger and raka and fool. And even if these thoughts don't lead you to murder, they are murder in God's sight. And so what Jesus is saying is, you're all guilty. Right? Some, I, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, no, whoa, I thought I was good. Or at least I hadn't done that. And what Jesus says here this morning is, nope, you're not good. You're guilty. This is the new standard for my kingdom. This is who you are. And while he's laying out the standards for his kingdom, see how he does this? He lays out the standards for his kingdom. This is who you are. This is how you are to be we begin to become painfully aware of the fact that we cannot do it, right? That we cannot measure up. It's essentially, he's saying, the standard is that you should be able to stand on this floor and jump and touch those ceiling tiles. There may have been a human being some point in the world who could jump that high. I doubt it. Look, North Carolina's playing great basketball right now, but none of the Tar Heels can touch these ceiling tiles from this floor, right? And what Jesus is saying is, here's the standard. The standard is that you should be able to jump from here to here. And you're going, I can't jump that high. Doesn't matter. That's the standard. You say, well, that's not fair. Doesn't matter. That's the standard. You say, that's impossible. Right. For you. But then Jesus says, but not for me. Right? Because that's why he had to come. You remember what he said earlier? I came to what? To fulfill the law. So Jesus says, I met the standard that you couldn't beat. Not only did I meet it, I set the standard. That's what we celebrated last week was the fact that Jesus had lived this perfect life and that he had met that standard. And then he paid the penalty for our sin, for our anger, for our raka, our attitudes of raka and disdain and contempt. And he paid the penalty for, for our sin and for saying that you're a fool. And he paid that penalty that we owed. He paid it on our behalf. And then he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated hell. And so when he did that, we stand forgiven. He is the victor, and we get all, it's as if we did it ourselves, and we did nothing. And that is the beauty of the gospel, is that we stand forgiven on his spot, on his perfect record before God. We are spotless, and we are clean 
And so when we trust in Jesus and when we begin to grow in our understanding of just how much he loves us and just how much he's forgiven us, then he empowers the Holy Spirit to begin to change us. And he empowers us to do what he's about to tell us to do in the next verses. Because if you continue on in this passage, look, Jesus is the best preacher ever. He's a great preacher, right? You've always heard three sermons and a story. Get his sermon, right? Look at Jesus. He makes a point, and then what does he do? He gives you two examples right here. Example number one, verse 23. So you, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, so what is he saying here? Is he saying what it looks like he's saying? Absolutely. We don't do this, but we should. He's talking about, he's talking about not someone who's done something to you, but if you have done something to someone else, if you've offended a brother or a sister in Christ, what he's saying is that you should, before you walk in the church, or if you're at church, he's saying, if you are at church and you are sitting over here and you realize, man, I have offended this person over here, he says, then you get up, you walk across the room, and you go make it right. You say, does he really mean that? Yes, that is exactly what he means. Be reconciled, then worship. As D.A. Carson likes to put it, the problem is, is that we love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love. He says, but Jesus will have none of it. And so you're saying, what's, that? what's the application? Think about that. Do, have you hurt somebody recently? Do you need to be reconciled with a brother or sister in Christ here? If you got up right now, praise the Lord. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. Hurry. Go quickly. Be reconciled to one another. Right, But then he continues on in verse 25, and he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so the second example that Jesus uses is a legal metaphor here. And he's saying, if you have a debt to pay, pay it. But he's stressing again, first in the context of the church, and then with your relationships with the outside world, he's stressing, be reconciled quickly. And note, it's not people who have offended you. Though there is passages of Scripture that speak to that. If someone's offended you, go to them one-on-one, right? But he's not saying people that have offended you, but people that you perhaps have offended people that you have been angry at, people that you have held a grudge against, people that you have been bitter against, people that you have hurt, he's saying, go to them. Be reconciled quickly. Now, you, you hear all this and you go, wow, this is hard. You're right, it is. This is really hard. It's hard to admit. It's hard to admit that we are guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. Right? It's easier to compare ourselves because how, how do we operate normally? We look at that and we go, well, I haven't murdered. Great. Well, at least I'm not as bad as this person. It's a whole lot easier to do that, to compare ourselves with 
even our own legal standards would go, well, that's not near as bad as this because in the court of law, this, this is way higher than that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. My law is what's important. It's not your law. It's not your man-made law. It's my laws. And this is the standard. And as much as we like to think, man, I'm not that bad, Jesus goes, no, it's way worse. I remember when Kelly and I started dating, I had a marriage counselor, Jeff Birch, one of the greatest preachers, guys I know. And Jeff used to tell me, he'd say, DT, cheer up. You're a whole lot worse off than you think you are. (laughs) And I remember being like, yeah, right. And then the older I got, the more I realized, how could that come out of my mouth? How could I say that? How could I think that? And then I realized, oh yeah, I know how. Because there's nothing sin doesn't touch. And our hearts are tainted. And this side of heaven, it's a fight for holiness. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit empowers us because he has fulfilled the law in, in Canada and credited, credited it to us as righteousness. And so the Spirit empowers us to be reconciled to each other quickly. But it's through the gospel. It's through remembering remembering just how much we've been forgiven and therefore are quick to seek forgiveness. It's just how much that God has reconciled us and therefore we seek to be reconciled to one another.